Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Do you have? Is this your first podcast? No, baby. Oh, no, I have another one. Yeah, I have a little girl. She's two years old. She's two. Okay. Yeah, she's going to be okay. Yeah, so. Well, what's what's going to be? So it'll be a two and a half year age difference. Yeah. So two girls. I have two, I have two girls. Oh, you do? Almost, almost exactly three years oh, between okay. them. Yeah. I think looking at her credentials, I was sold as soon as I saw the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. But the truth is, Dr. Tanya Manikam has so many other interests and focus that this will make for a very unique and interesting podcast as we dive deeper into the world of hormones, uh, menopause, and also the effects it has on our mental health. So... Welcome to episode 25 of Living Your Life with Ann Lang, the podcast brought to you by Extension Marketing. And for more information, of course, you can head to extensionmarketing.com. Definitely worth checking it out for a free consultation. Tanya, great to have you here. I should mention, I'm hoping you're able to sit still for around the hour. You're very pregnant. Seven months, yeah. <laughs> very <Seven> pregnant. <laughs> this might be the first time we have to do an actual <laughs> official pee break for you to be able to get up. Are you excited? This is your second. It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm a two and a half year old at home, so it's a girl, and this is a girl too, so I was very excited. That's not, I, I could ask you all about your hormones right now, but uh, <laughs> we'll stay off of that Let's one that. for now. Uh, you know, it, it was an interesting uh, correlation because you actually work with Nutrichem, and we had uh, Kent McLeod on uh, a couple of months ago. He was actually one of the first podcasts I did. Uh, it's a nice place for you. I mean, it, it seems everyone is so passionate yeah, about absolutely. what they do. Yeah, we're a bunch of clinicians. We all work together. Everybody's extremely passionate about of quality of life, improving life, um, and yeah, pharmacists, naturopathic doctors, nutritionists that all work together. It's mm-hmm. an amazing combination. You put the combination together right off the bat. And so this is where I want to start because I was trying to do some research and to understand the difference between you, what you call a naturopathic doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are homeopaths. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are our normal doctors, physicians. Can you explain to me the differences that what the correlation or why it's so different between a regular doctor and a naturopath? Yeah, so to get into naturopathic medical school, it's actually the same requisitions. So you need your undergraduate degree, you need your science, all that stuff. But then you go to a private college for um, naturopathic medicine. So in Canada right now, there's only two, one in Toronto and one in BC. Mm -hmm. Um, In the States, there's a couple more kind of thing. So, and it's a four-year program. The main difference is the first two years are actually very similar to regular medical school. It's all science-based, bio chemistry, all that stuff. But then it kind of veers off. And instead of we do study pharmacology, but then we focus on nutrition, on supplements, that kind of stuff to treat people. The main difference is that residency for naturopathic doctors is optional. So you don't actually have to do your residency. You can just do your internship and start practicing. While medical doctors, they have to do at least a minimum of two year residency. Okay, can I break down a little bit more? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're going into your family physician's office, mm-hmm. what's the difference between going into the family physician's office and going into your office? Yeah, so the family doctor, right? Mm-hmm. So um, make sure that basically everything's good with you. We'll check to give you a physical. Notchpats will do that as well. Um, they'll check. It's more 
your blood sugar, make sure your heart's good and that kind of stuff, right? Usually when people see a naturopathic doctor, they usually, they'll have a complaint in mind, right? It's more about quality of life. They'll say, oh, my energy, my mood, or nothing's working. Um, we'll spend a lot more, it's private medicine, so we're, we're able to spend more time with mm-hmm. the people as well. We're there to improve lives, not necessarily to save lives. That's how I describe it. Our medical system is amazing to saving lives, right? But unfortunately, medical system, your doctor doesn't have an hour to spend with you to ask you, well, how are you feeling? How's your mood? How's your energy? Well, a naturopath, we sit and we go through everything. I ask all about the diet. I ask about exercise. I ask about social, everything. And we just, we really want to improve people's quality of life. It's the quality. So it's not, and, and I know, you know, having talked to Kent, this is not about prescribing medicine mm-hmm. uh, at the end of it, right? It's it's almost the, the opposite is trying to find the root cause of yeah. what is happening so that you like, can improve that. Exactly. And naturopathic doctors, um, we do have prescribing rights in Ontario and BC. So it goes by province against, our, again, our regulation. Um, but yeah, the, the difference is we really want to find the root cause, right? Because even naturally, somebody comes to me, let's say for depression, I can throw a herb at them. I can throw something, but I want to look more into it. I'm like, is your depression because, is it hormone related, right? Is it more psychological where you should actually be getting therapy, not taking something? Mm-hmm. Um, is it a vitamin deficiency like iron or magnesium deficiency? So we're more into, we have the luxury and more time to kind of investigate more, if, that, if you ask me. Uh, and I think, of course, with anyone who gets into medicine and is willing to put in those hours and that education, there's usually a passion or a story behind it. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm assuming with you also, there's a reason why this profession chose you. Yeah, actually. So my family, so my extended family, to be honest, they're all medical doctors, cardiologists, nephrologists, pathologists, anesthesiologists, all you can think of. So honestly, I just grew up thinking I'm going to be a medical doctor too. It's just kind of what you do, right? It's in the, um, it's in the family business. Exactly. <laughs> but then my father actually got cancer when I was 13. So he got cancer. He had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And he went through all the treatments, the chemo, the radiation, and he beat the cancer. But his quality of life was horrible. He lost his eyesight. His skin was falling off. He had something called neuropathy, which is chronic pain in the legs and arms. He could hardly walk. It affected his heart. So the quality of life just wasn't there anymore. And there was a nurse. I think it was a general hospital. But a nurse told my mom, you know, you should actually consider bringing your husband to go get acupuncture. So this was the first time our family was introduced to alternative medicine. Mm -hmm. Um, So I remember one day, you know, I was making him a coffee, actually, in the kitchen. And I just asked him. He had been going now for a couple of weeks to acupuncture. And I asked him, like, so, Dad, like, how's, you know, the acupuncture going? It was so foreign to our family. And he's like, Tanya, for the first time in many years, I don't have pain. So for me, that just it hit me right away. And I was like, wow, I think I knew at that point, I'm like, that's the way I want to go. At this point, I didn't even know you could be a naturopathic doctor. Okay. I mean, you said, you know, you were, you were 13 when he was, when he was sick. So are we talking like 14, At this point, I was more closer to 16, 17. Yeah. So this had been a long battle for your, for your father as well. And and understanding how much pain he had been over the course of those years. Yeah. So to hear him say Mm -hmm. the pain has diminished, it's a big, it was huge. Yeah. And it was unbelievable a bit for our our mm-hmm. family because again we come from a medical background right so then I didn't even know did, did people fight it within the family kind of going what are you thinking you know doing this my family were half East Indian so they're actually really open to it just because back in India naturopathic medicine and um, allopathic medicine so conventional medicine they just work together mm-hmm. so they were open to it for sure um, of course 
like allopathic medicine comes first, right? But at that point, he had been suffering for so long. So at this point, it's like you do whatever you need to do to, Mm -hmm. you know, try anything at that point. So that was the the sign for you as to if you were going to head into medicine and follow Mm -hmm. within the family tradition to go this route. Absolutely, yeah. What did you enjoy most in the learning process? The... Probably just the thinking behind everything. You know, nothing's a Band-Aid. It's not just about you have this, we prescribe this. You have this, you do the surgery. Um, So just going more and thinking more and, you know, trying to be more of an investigator, right? Looking at little things that normally you wouldn't think about, basically. Is it a chronic infection? Is it an autoimmune thing? Is it, you know, it's just really, yeah, probably the investigative piece. Okay, so we've got doctor slash detective here. (laughs) What uh, what are the, when people are walking into your office, can you anticipate what it is that they're going to be saying? I mean, can you read it off of people at this point? You know, what is the most common thing people are coming in for? Uh, probably, to be honest, low energy, weight gain, hair loss. Yeah. So my practice is a lot of women and that's usually, and they're usually, I'd say age 35 to 55. And that's usually the main complaint. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You've got every woman going, okay, <laughs> energy, weight, and, you know, uh, yeah. you know I, is sleep in there. Uh, sleep. Yeah. yeah. Um, and looking at the, the woman you deal with, it's almost like you're dealing with one phase to another phase, right? Almost like, you know, fertility and kind of dealing with what women are looking for in their in younger and then menopause and kind yeah. of dealing with hormones later. Sure. And so let's deal on that because this is your this is where you like to focus on and we're gonna talk about the hormones. Mm-hmm. So Bring us back down to med school. What exactly? Like, I hear it all the time, hormones, hormones. But what are we talking about? Like, what exactly is the hormone? A hormone's a messenger in your body, basically. It's a messenger going either from your brain to an organ, telling your organ, oh, you got to do this, or um, from an organ to another organ, or to an organ to your skin to say. So it's basically hormones are messengers. And as we age, unfortunately, the hormones decline. Right, especially for us women, we lose. They just can't travel as fast, or they're just dying off. Stop producing them. Okay. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Um, People are always, you know, when we do a lot of hormone testing in my practice, so I get so many women that they're, you know, in their fifties, they're menopausal, and then when we're looking at all their hormones, they're surprised that they have no estrogen and progesterone. And I I explain to them like, no, no, menopause means no more of these hormones. Like they actually completely go away, and people are very surprised about that. Yeah, I don't think I think some people are incredibly educated on it, and yeah. then others just we just hear these words menopause, yeah, menopause. Yeah. Uh, and we don't exactly understand what's happening. At what point do our, our our bodies really affected by hormones? To be honest, most women once we reach our thirties, um, our hormones start declining. So usually, one of the first hormones that declines for a lot of women is progesterone. So progesterone helps us women stay calm, helps us deal with stress, and helps us with sleep. So yet, women in the late thirties, early forties, they start telling me, you know what? I'm waking up in the middle of the night. I just don't handle stress the way I used to, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then usually after that, estrogen follows. And then estrogen gets low. That's when you get the, the women complain about hot flashes. But estrogen also keeps our bones hard, keeps our cholesterol down, helps with our memory. So the longer a woman has her hormones, um, the more she can wear off, you know, dementia and memory issues and stuff like that. Okay. Is there anything that we can do for ourselves? I mean, you're listing all the things that are going to happen that mm-hmm. we can do um, to 
to fight this or to battle it or to hold it off as long as possible. For sure, yeah. So that comes down to lifestyle. So preventive medicine, for sure. Um, diet and exercise is huge, honestly. So if you can kind of follow more of like an anti-inflammatory diet, so there's certain foods that just, they cause something called inflammation in our body. And basically what it does is it pushes our immune system to go crazy. And when our immune system's going crazy, to be honest, our hormones go crazy. So if somebody has a high sugar, high you know, refined carb diet, to be honest, it's not the best for hormones for sure. Um, exercise will help boost your testosterone, which is another hormone that goes away, unfortunately, for us women too. Um, so testosterone helps us with muscle mass, with sex drive, all that stuff, right? And weight, um, muscle mass, weight loss. So yeah, exercise and nutrition goes a long way. It's not going to stop you from getting, losing your hormones. You're going to lose them. There's mm -hmm. no doubt about that. But it can actually help you manage and the loss go a bit slower for sure. Okay, so I, like I'm looking at a spectrum right here of like 30 years. Mm -hmm. So I want to be able to take it and go back into little pockets. You know, we've kind of hit like the general, yeah. but let's go down into into the pockets. So let's talk about the, the initial clients that are coming in. And you were saying, you know, in their mid to late 30s, low energy, not sleeping well, aren't dealing with stress. Yeah. What are the questions that you're asking? What are the things that you're going to be looking for? And what like take us through kind of this yeah. example a client so i'll ask them exactly their energy levels I'll ask them is there a time of day you have more energy do you have more energy in the morning more at night some people get that boost in the evening well then the hormone we're actually dealing with is more something called cortisol which is your adrenal glands um, your adrenal glands are the glands in your body to help you deal with stress so if they're out of whack then your energy levels will vary throughout the day I'll ask about the menstrual cycle, right? So the perfect men menstrual cycle is 28 days. Um, so I'll ask, do you have any signs before your period comes? To be honest, people talk about PMS like it's normal, but it's actually not normal. It's not supposed to be that way. We're not, our mood's not supposed to change before a period. Our period's supposed to be, you know, um, lasts about five days it's not supposed to cause cramping not supposed to cause anything like that right i know uh, i'm sorry what planet, <laughs> what planet are you from yeah, but like oh yeah. come on you can't say like yeah usually why, so. why is it not supposed to be like that when 90 percent of women i yeah. think deal with some right like cramping seriously no cramping, yeah, cramping no moods yeah. no cravings really like, um, that usually like, means an estrogen and progesterone imbalance yeah so if a woman has too much estrogen and the problem with estrogen too is that in our environment especially in north america um, in our environment, we have a lot of things called xenoestrogens, right? So plastics and stuff, and they actually mimic estrogen in our body. So we end up with technically more estrogen than we should, right? Even if half of it, it might be fake. But when you have an imbalance between your estrogen and progesterone, it'll cause fibroids, it'll cause clots when you have your period and that kind of stuff, which is going to cause cramping. Hmm. Okay, okay, so... If there's any woman out there that's going to go, okay, how am I going to not have these things? Like, what are we doing then if we suffer from yeah. a lot of these issues? I recommend women get your hormones tested. Start with that because that's not something routinely done with your doctor. If you're going to your family doctor, it's not something that your doctor is going to be doing. Honestly, you really usually have to ask for it. The timing of when you're testing your hormones too depends on your menstrual cycle. So ideally, you want to do it around day 21. That's when your progesterone is supposed to be at its highest. So so, you know, if you go ask your doctor to test your hormones or go see a naturopath that does hormones a lot, right? And then see what that balance is. And then from there, depending on that gap, you know, then there's so many things you can do. But that's the first step is just test your hormones. If you suffer from PMS, if you suffer from fertility issues, if you, you know, yeah. Get the hormones checked. Get the hormones checked, yeah. 
Is it um, is it an expense? I mean, looking at our medical uh, yeah. system, I mean, what what is the cost to this? Is it, you know, and then you have to weigh it, right? For I'm sure. feeling like crap. Things aren't quite working. Yeah. What, what? Hormone testing can be done in the blood or saliva. So usually, saliva is very expensive. It is known to be the most accurate. That's not covered by OHIP. That's out of pocket, and it's a couple hundred dollars. The women I see, I say, you know, let's just test it in the blood. It's a good baseline, gives us a good idea of what's going on. Um, if you do it through your doctor, that is covered by OHIP. Through us, it's private medicine, but it's about depending on how, how many hormones you test. Um, it's like $25 per hormones. I mean, it's nothing crazy, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What would, what would be on that checklist? What would you be looking for? Um, estrogen, progesterone. I look at the cortisol, which is the adrenal glands. And there's another hormone called DHEA that's going to be, can be imbalanced in people. So if DHEA is high, somebody might have acne. Um, they might have cysts on their ovaries. They might have anxiety, that kind of stuff. I like to look at the thyroid a lot. So the thyroid is a gland in your neck. And if it doesn't work properly, people have weight gain, hair loss, low energy, that kind of stuff. But um, our medical system, when it comes to the thyroid, we actually test a hormone that your brain sends your thyroid to work, but we actually don't test the hormones coming out of the thyroid. It's not routinely done. So I like to investigate again more, you know, and look into that. Okay, so depending on what your patient is coming in with is Mm -hmm. the type of of saying their thyroid might be completely out of whack when Mm -hmm. you have someone, you know, dealing with a hair loss, uh, weight gain. Uh, and, And they're typically, are they... Typically saying, I'm trying to do all the things right. I'm trying to exercise. I'm trying to eat correctly and things. I cannot seem to get control of what's happening with my body. Absolutely. I get people always coming in, their shirts are thyroid. They're like, I got this. It's my thyroid, you know, for sure. But then we investigate and it's actually more to your adrenal glands. Your adrenals and your thyroid are completely linked. So if your adrenal glands are off, it's going to give you thyroid issues or thyroid symptoms without your thyroid actually being completely off. So it's all about investigating again. And some people, to be honest, genetically, they're just at risk of having thyroid issues. So there's something called Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune disorder that attacks the thyroid. So meaning your immune system attacks your thyroid. It's often genetic, so usually it'll run in the family, but if their parents or somebody hasn't been tested, they won't even know it's Hashimoto's. Those people, it's a bit more complex because they have to do more steps. It's not just about you know exercising and eating healthy. It's really about following something called an autoimmune protocol. So really lowering inflammation in them, taking certain supplements, that kind of stuff. Uh- so would you say, you know, if you have a family who has had weight issues or it kind of goes from uh, from parent to child to, to grandchild, mm-hmm. that could be something that actually is a genetic link? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, sometimes, you know, I have the patients that are the healthiest you can imagine. They eat so well. They work out. They go to the, the Greco fitness gym. So they're working out these crazy <laughs> yeah. intense, like four or five days a week, you know. And they have a really hard time with their weight. So at that point, you just know there's a biochemical cause. But then we look at their biochemistry. Biochemistry means hormones, everything, and everything's fine. And they'll talk about, you know, well, my mom was overweight, my grandmother, and stuff like that. So some people, yes, genetically, they are at risk of having weight issues. Okay, what happens with that woman who you said is doing four to five days um, at Greco and, uh, you know, eating and cannot seem to do it? What has happened once you've been able to distinguish that it's, there's a hormonal imbalance or there's things that just aren't working correctly. Yeah. What is the result like? It depends on the person, so yeah. So what are you creating like, for them? Like, what are you able to do then? Yeah. The first the step that I can do for her, a person like that is that, first of all, we can investigate a lot more than what the family doctor can, right? So that alone usually people get relief. They're like, okay, I'm finally going to be looking for answers. And that alone is a huge deal for a lot of people. 
um, if we find what's going on, you know, if it's something like insulin, which is a different hormone, um, then great, we can address it. But I'm not gonna lie, sometimes it happens that we actually don't find anything and we don't, you know, understand it, unfortunately. Sometimes it will, it will be like that. What if you are able to find it? What mm-hmm. happens? Then we address it. So let's say somebody has high estrogen and low progesterone. Um, then I usually talk, I have the conversation with the patient. I'm like, what are you comfortable with? What are you thinking? Do you want to try this naturally? Do you want me to prescribe you hormones? Because we can prescribe hormones, right? Um, depending on the age, take into effect the, the age of the woman, that kind of stuff, Whether the, what other meds she's on. So I think the perfect example is, for menopausal women is that the most commonly prescribed medication is the antidepressant and sleeping pill, right? So Which, and I think you say that with just such a, it's a distaste, <laughs> right? I mean that... Well, it doesn't address the root cause, right? It's a so, band-aid okay, for me. Yeah. So oftentimes with menopause, mm-hmm. a, a, a normal kind of family doctor would be prescribing a sleeping pill? And an antidepressant. That's okay. what they're told to do, though. Some doctors will prescribe hormones, but that's, you know, that's what they're told to do so they're following what they're told to do or what you know is taught to them so um, but I find that's a band-aid right I mean you're not addressing the root cause so for a woman like that you know should she be on progesterone to help her with sleep right Um, if she's having hot flashes should she be on estrogen so mm -hmm. but I have that conversation with the patient so Okay, so why wouldn't they, like, explain it, right? Why don't you want those? So there's fears around hormones. So some women have a lot of fear around hormones because there was this huge study called the Women's Health Initiative. And what they did is they tested thousands of women. They were giving them hormones. And the women that were taking estrogen ended up with heart disease or a high number of them. And the ones that were taking the progesterone ended up with breast cancer. Now, they were given synthetic hormones, okay? So, like, the estrogen actually was horse estrogen. So it was not human estrogen um, and progesterone. So now we use bioidentical hormones. They're plant-based, but they go in the lab. The lab plays with it and kind of um, changes it so they mimic the hormones in the body. But that study really scared people and would good how reasons. Long, how long ago was that done? Oh, God, I don't even remember the year, but it was a good, yeah, over 10 years ago for okay. sure. Um, so so that's huge, right? And that's so when that happened, it was like, okay, every woman, stop your hormones. That's it. Right. But with the bioidentical hormones, now they haven't had a study with the thousands of people they've done the Women's Health Initiative with. Um, but their studies with 500 people here, 800 people here, 1,000, you know. Um, so and they're actually showing that there's not an increase right now with the breast cancer and stuff like that. So what I tell my women, so for as far as the breast cancer goes, right now with the bioidentical hormones, we don't see any evidence that they actually initiate cancer. Okay, breast cancer. However, if you have a a breast cancer in you, if you have something in you that's hormone sensitive, it's going to act as a fertilizer. So it will make it grow faster. So when I started women on hormones right away, it's, okay, when was your last mammogram? And if they haven't had one, I recommend, okay, well, we should do a mammogram before you start hormones or within the first year at least, just to make sure, right? Some women have something called a BRCA gene, meaning mm-hmm. that, right, genetically they are mm-hmm. at risk of breast cancer. So for those women, maybe, you know, it's because of their high risk, it means something could happen at any time and stuff. A lot of those women will be like, you know what, I don't know if I should be doing the hormones. But again, it's a personal choice. And if a woman tells me she's, has, she's BRCA positive, but she still wants hormones, I, I will prescribe it, you know? Okay, well, the yearly mammograms, that kind of stuff to watch it. Now, within each of these patients, is it a different, are you, are you making them different? Because I know that you have the lab to be able to do this. So does mm-hmm. each one correlate with that 
individual that they don't need I mean you're talking about some need the progesterone or the testosterone or the estrogen Mm -hmm. Um, is it done so that you can see baseline as to what so how one woman's going to be different we're all completely different absolutely and I'll get women come to me often they're already on hormones and they were actually never tested and then when we tested their hormones their estrogen's through the roof and these women are complaining of you know um, breast tenderness that kind of stuff or they'll have progesterone through the roof and these women are complaining of weight gain so for sure so what we do the way I do it, and that's what I was learned through A4M is you start at a low dose and you go up slow basically so I always start every woman that starts on hormones I start them at the lowest dose possible and then we actually retest them every three months and we monitor them um, and then I adjust the dose of the hormones accordingly so now you've got a woman who's we, we kind of dealt with like a 35 and then yeah. you've got like a 45 year old woman right mm-hmm. who um, likely although I have some girlfriends who are still having babies mm-hmm. um, you know out of the childbearing years yeah. not quite you know still at least think that they're far off from menopause um, and yet you know, don't things just don't seem to be right, or low sex drive, or yeah. what what would be happening then? You've got kind of, you know, teens running around the house. You, you're For still sure. full time working. You're not sleeping well. Your sex drive is low. Yeah. So you just you go and you test your hormones and you find out where's the imbalance there. You know, most likely usually it's a progesterone that goes down first. Um, one thing that we see with women is that, especially career women or women that have a lot of, like, they're always on the go, go, go. So we, like I mentioned before, we have your adrenal glands. Those are your glands that help you deal with stress. And they have something called cortisol. Cortisol helps you deal with stress. It's a good thing, right? If it's yeah, balanced. It, it also hangs around your belly. If you have too much. <laughs> yeah, if you have too much. This podcast is brought to you by Extension Marketing. They're a new breed of marketing agency that acts as your virtual marketing department, designing and implementing cost-effective marketing strategies that will grow your business. I can speak to this personally, as I've been using the Extension Marketing team to help me launch and grow my business. Founder Pat Whalen has been a lifesaver for me, a genuine coach guiding me along the way into uncharted territory. Tell them you're a friend of the show and receive a free one-hour consultation. Check them out at extensionmarketing.com. But if you have too little, yeah. then you won't be able to get up in the morning. You'll have hair loss, all that stuff. So if your body, how, how much is hair loss? Like when you're talking hair loss, I mean, we're talking doing a shampoo in the shower and then you bring yeah. your and, you, and exactly. And people will be like, oh my god, my hair's thinning, you know, mm-hmm. for sure. So if you're if you're in the go 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 and you have a career, this woman, and you have a lot of stress, your body's going to want to make more cortisol to deal with the stress, and it's actually going to steal your progesterone and your testosterone. So we'll test women's hormones, and then we'll see their low in progesterone, their low in testosterone. Um, their cortisol might be high, might be low, depends on what's going on. But the main reason for their hormones being off is actually because their adrenal glands are just, they need more cortisol. So it's, it's a big puzzle. That's what I'm saying. It's like it's a lot of uh, investigation and stuff. It is. If you have someone who is fearful or is still re- you know, resisting hormones, how much can be influenced by food and diet? A lot, for sure, yeah. Um, following an anti-inflammatory diet. We know that dairy... Like, what's with the inflammation? Because you had mentioned that I want to ask you. Yeah. Like, how, how crucial is inflammation in seeing where all the issues are? It's huge. Inflammation has been studied over and over again in medicine in general. So the more inflammation a person has, um, there's markers for inflammation. So the one that we monitor at Nutricam, we it's HSCRP. But it's been shown that the more inflammation a person has, the more risk they are of dementia, of memory loss. Like, there's so many things inflammation is geared towards. 
every hormone patient that I see, I put them on the anti-inflammatory diet when I first see them, unless there's other testing that right. tells me they shouldn't. But, you know, I tell them to do it every year. So we do a three-week week anti-inflammatory diet, and they do it on a yearly basis. My husband and I do it on a yearly basis. Okay, so, yeah. Take, okay list them up. Okay, what does <laughs> yeah. an anti-inflammatory diet You basically move, remove any foods known to cause inflammation in the body, and that's even healthy foods. So... Um, dairy, eggs, gluten, obviously. Okay, slow down. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, dairy. Dairy, eggs. eggs. Um, red meat. Uh, gluten. So in, um, any grain that has gluten in there, it's like wheat, spelt, rye. Um, no tomatoes, no peppers, no mushrooms, um, no melons, no watermelon, cantaloupe, honeydew melon, no strawberries, no bananas. I have like this handout, obviously, I give to Yeah, I, I, I am. <laughs> and, and, and all of a sudden you had people going, okay, I am totally going to try this anti-inflammatory <laughs> diet what it is, because yeah. it sounds like, okay, this makes so much sense. And then you just mm-hmm. listed off, you know, pretty much everything, everything that they're eating. And then you go back to, eh, well, really, I mean, that, that's. I mean that that's a that's a lot. Yeah, and it's okay. not for everything. It's a three no, week. No, I get that. It's three. Mm-hmm. Okay, what would I be eating for those three weeks on an anti-inflammatory yeah. so diet? In the morning, you can start yourself with a smoothie. You can use, let's say, rice milk or almond milk. Put like some hemp protein in there. Put some blueberries, pears, apples, and then for a snack, you might want you know carrots, celery dipped in hummus, and then for lunch, a salad, and you add chicken or maybe a piece of salmon. Um, and then for dinners, you can have your sweet potatoes with your steamed vegetables, I don't know, steamed broccoli, steamed cauliflower, and then a piece of fish or a piece of white meat. Okay. okay. You know what? Actually, that, that's really not that bad. Mm-hmm. I think I would pretty much eat exactly like that, um, other than that I would have liked a, a piece of steak or, <laughs> yeah. you know, pork chop yeah. or, or, you I know, never some, tell my patients yeah. to do something I haven't done. I'm pretty good about that. Yeah. So I, the first time I ever did the diet, like I said, me and my husband do it on a yearly basis, but the first time I did it, I actually wrote down my menu. So I just gave it to my patients. So it gives them ideas and stuff. Of yeah. But like carrots and hummus, that's, that's not it's a bad thing, right? I know. I agree. Like, yeah. yeah. And can they eat a lot of it? Like, is it? as much as okay, they want. So it's, it's not calorie restricted. Okay. So that's, that's a, that's a big thing. It's not calorie restricted. No. It's so, inflammatory foods restriction. Okay, so if people understand that, that they can snack and eat carrots and, much, and, yeah. you can and have hummus nuts, and you can nuts. Have almonds, okay, walnuts. Okay, so it's that's so peanuts, big. pistachios, and cashews, but all the other nuts are fine. Yeah. Okay, but yeah, if you're not, if you can eat as much of it, and so you're not hungry, it's mm-hmm. just changing the foods. And what, how quickly will people feel a difference yeah. when they're on? So that? sometimes the first week they actually feel worse. Uh, <laughs> and but, then <laughs> but you know, by the end of the second week, people get a boost of energy. They're like, oh, I feel like superwoman, you know. Um, so and then by three weeks, you feel good. And especially if anybody has chronic pain, like arthritis and stuff, pain's inflammation, right? So it can really help them with that too. If somebody has digestive issues. If somebody has like mucus in the stools, that's usually inflammation. So how can you yeah. tell if there's mucus in the stool? It's slippery when you wipe. You know, yeah. When you wipe, it's like yeah. you, you you can actually see the mucus, and it's super slippery. Okay, so okay, <laughs> so if it's okay, so I'm, yeah, I'm so sorry for those of you who maybe, <laughs> but we're gonna discuss poop for a second. <laughs> Um, okay, so a healthy poo mm-hmm. is usually just, formed, right? Yeah. Um, usually you should be pooing the amount of big meals you have. So if you're having three big meals a day, to be honest, you should be pooping two or three times a day. Okay. Should be any straining, no undigested food in the stools, no blood or mucus. Should be a nice... Should, and I always joke about it. it should be a clean wipe. 
It should. <laughs> no, it really should, actually. Yeah. Okay. And then what's happening if there's mucus? Like, what's, Mucus what's... for me is a sign of inflammation. So okay. there's obviously inflammation in your bowels. So again, we would do the anti-inflammatory diet. Then I go a bigger step too. I'll get like probiotics, something to really help the lining of the intestines and stuff like that. But... And could that be stre- could that be something else other than diet that you have the mucus? Oh, for sure, it could be. You know, somebody has high cortisol. You talked about mm-hmm. when somebody has high cortisol, they have the thing around their bellies, but they usually they might have diarrhea. They might have a lot of digestive issues. But I tell my patients, I'm like, cortisol is your stress hormone. So if you think about our ancestors, stress was running away from a predator, right? So the last thing your body thinks it's doing when it's stress is eating and just chilling out, right? It mm-hmm. thinks it's running away. So all the blood goes to your limbs. It, it gets all away from your digestive system. There's something called digestive juices. Those are all the enzymes and stuff to help digest food. Those are not working when you're in a high stress situation because your body thinks you're running away from a predator. It can't tell the difference. Stress is stress to your body. So high cortisol can cause a lot of digestive issues. Um, and I know having talked with Kent, um, who's with, you know, kind of founded NutriCam, yeah. uh, so much, and I know his emphasis was so much of our health is based on our gut. Absolutely. Um, and this is really, as I'm listening to you, mm-hmm. you know, you're coming from different angles and we're talking hormones, but it comes back to what's oh, the initiation yeah. in the gut. The gut is huge. Um, the gut is, I mean... You make new tra- brain chemicals in your gut. The way you process hormones, um, it's been shown that your it's called estrobolum. But your so the good bacteria in your gut, the more good bacteria in your gut, the better you're gonna metabolize your hormones, meaning um, get rid of them in a right way, kind of thing, and mm-hmm. have the good quality hormones instead of the bad. Right. Hormones. Although I'm learning that no matter what, I'm going to be losing the hormones. <laughs> yes. No, no matter what. But even then, so there well, is one type how, of estrogen you actually still make in menopause. Okay. It's called estrone. There's three types of estrogen in the body. Estrone um, is, I call it the bad one. Um, it's the one, of course, we still make after menopause, right? So when estrone is too high, it does um, make you more inflamed, can put you more at risk of having different types of like cervical cancer, all that stuff. Um, there's estradiol, which is the mo- most abundant estrogen during um, a menstrual cycle it's really good for bones really good for uh, regulating your menstrual cycle and for hot flashes and then there's estriol when you're pregnant estriol is the one that you have the most of it's a different type of estrogen so in menopause you lose your estriol and your estradiol completely but you still actually have your estrone the one that you don't like Mm -hmm. and even then it's all about how you actually get rid of that one in your body so it goes even a step further so i call them highways so your hormones have to exit your body right you they send the message you utilize them and then they exit your body and they can exit down different highways so um, depending which highway it is decides to exit then some of it is very well okay it's gone and then other highways it's like yeah can actually linger and cause more problems so Hmm. yeah are you able to do things to be able to direct the traffic properly yeah so if you want to know how hormones are leaving your body that's actually tested in the urine the one that's um, the test is called dutch testing is the one that's most uh, people will do Um, so it tests all your highways highway 2 highway 4 highway 16 um, and then you want to... Not, not the 417 and the 401, <laughs> no. I take it. Okay. So ideally, if your hormones can exit the proper highway, um, there's a way to push it that way. So um, there's something called indole-3-carbinolin dim. So there's actually, they come from broccoli or crisper's vegetable and then been shown to actually push your hormones to exit your body with a better highway. Yeah. Okay, I love really broccoli. Cool. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> so, lesson today, eat more broccoli. Would that be sure. worth it? Okay. <laughs> for, for some of you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, 
you've kind of hit on so many of the different facets of where they're affecting us. You've talked a lot about women, mm-hmm. but we've got men, we've got men listening who are interested to be able to help their women, but there also are men. What are the issues that they're dealing with? Testosterone. Yeah. Okay. So testosterone is the big issue with men. That in cortisol too, though. Um, often, so testosterone, low testosterone in men will not only, because men think testosterone, okay, muscle building, sex drive, but actually their mood is really affected with testosterone for men. Um, so if you have a man that, you know, is depressed, never fought, had depression his entire life and suddenly, you know, he's middle-aged and he's starting to deal with depression, definitely worth investigating testosterone for sure to see his levels. One, the main common cause of low testosterone men is actually something called sleep apnea, meaning they're waking up in the middle of the night and they don't even know they're doing this, right? Like they don't fully wake up, but they stop breathing and they wake up. So if somebody has low testosterone, then they'd want to get investigated for that. Um, Testosterone keeps their blood pressure down, their cholesterol down, and helps regulate their blood sugar. It's huge for men. Unfortunately, not for the doctors, we don't have prescribing rights for testosterone because it is a controlled substance. So for that, they have to see... Um, a medical doctor or a nurse practitioner that prescribes it. Okay. Um, I want to talk about the little blue pill. Okay. Is that okay? (laughs) Um, Because you do have these men that are leading um, healthy, active lifestyles and, you know, might not be fighting off depression or testosterone Mm -hmm. and maybe, um, you know, very much wanting to be involved and yet they run with the issue. Like what is happening with um, the lack of a sex drive or wanting to have, like having a sex drive and not being able to, Perform. perform is that is that the right way of saying it? Yeah, you know, for it, sure. Is the want the wanting to, but not being able to able to yeah so then it can be just it can be hormones can be testosterone can be cortisol um it could be more of a circulation thing too though circulation yeah well you need circulation right it's the blood circulation exactly yes okay (laughs) yes the blood pumping yeah um but where would that be where would that be faulty like how how does one increase circulation um well then it's all about testing right is it because their cholesterol is too high do they have something called atherosclerosis atherosclerosis like you get the hardening of your arteries okay you get plaque buildup and stuff um so yeah so then it's like they'll look at their blood pressure and stuff like that yeah so that would be done through their family doctor okay so a couple of issues is one thing but if you're starting to feel this how how long do you have people that are dealing with these symptoms before they actually reach out and and get someone to talk to or someone to help yeah so with women it's pretty early because women talk to each other so much right so that's the bonus with that um men often i know the men that i see my practice it's because their wives kind of sent them because i think men i don't know if they're just not encouraged to talk about it as much i'm not sure Um, my practice again is mostly women so it's the wives like okay you need to go see dr tanya go you know kind of thing but mm -hmm. so it's hard to say yeah but they are seeing similar results with their different hormones right absolutely Um, and and doing a replacement or doing something where it's stimulating and it's then even like you know so if somebody comes in so a guy comes in for he's like i'm sure i have low testosterone we test his testosterone it is low but we test his cortisol and that's extremely low um again if he's uh, under a lot of stress if he has you know busy job that kind of stuff big family life then he's his body's going to want to make more cortisol and it's going to steal that testosterone to make it so sure this guy can take testosterone but he's still not addressing the root cause which is actually his cortisol so it's worth looking at more hormones for men too Mm -hmm. and surprisingly even with the thyroid like glenn and unek was telling you about there's a lot of men actually that suffer from thyroid issue as well so and i find sometimes that gets kind of lost in the shuffle yeah exactly so some men will focus so much on the testosterone that they forget that 
Very because true. they would they wouldn't necessarily be dealing with weight issues. Not necessarily, right? yeah. Um, but you know, they might have the sprillo energy. You'll see their cholesterol starting to rise, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I do know. I mean, I don't have the medical background, but there is that difference between the good cholesterol and the bad cholesterol. Yeah. <laughs> and how much do patients understand that, or do they just hear the word cholesterol and they get scared? Yeah, for sure. So. What I do, anytime, anybody, who, all my patients that know me, when we do blood work, I sit with them and I explain every single thing, what it means. But we have, when you test cholesterol, it's actually, you have a lot of cholesterols you're testing and you actually have a lot of bad ones. Um, it's not just one bad and then one good, right? But when you do test cholesterol, the lab does a ratio, good versus bad. And uh, the research shows, yeah, if you can keep this number below 3.5, you're at reduced risk of heart disease, secondary to cholesterol. A lot of things cause heart disease. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. So patients will come in and be like, oh, you know, my cholesterol, and my doctor told me my cholesterol is high, but I'm like, yeah, but, you know, look at your ratio. It's not too bad. And you know what? This bad cholesterol is actually the worst, and that one's okay with for you. So, you right. know, no need the, to panic. The, yeah, yeah, not to panic. The bad, yeah. <laughs> bad one is being outweighed by, by the rest of them. Yeah. But it's something that I think people need to educate themselves on because I've had so many people like, I'm not going to have the eggs because I have yeah. high cholesterol. And I'm like, there, there's a lot of different signs sure. behind that. And, and we're so focused on cholesterol. And people always tell me, I don't understand. You know, I don't eat, you know, meat. I don't eat, um, you know, a lot of red meat and that kind of stuff. And I tell them, you know what? Carbs will increase your cholesterol. And people don't realize that, you know, if you eat a lot of sugar and you're not spending that energy, your body's going to store it as fat, right? So it increases your cholesterol. So, um, And I don't want to get too much on the diet with you because I know it's more of the medical, but I, I just had a guest on, I mean, really, my last guest, really mm -hmm. talking about sugar yeah. uh, and, and kind of it, it's how cruel it can be mm -hmm. to people and we don't know it. We don't realize that that's the biggest battle that we're facing. Oh, for sure. sure. It's in everything, first of all, things we don't even realize. People think they're eating healthy and really it's just full of sugar. It's inflammatory. If you have Brings bugs in you. Brings back to the inflammation, yeah, right? Exactly. Like, yeah. If you have bugs in you, it's just going to feed them. It's just, yeah. What do you mean if you have bugs in you? <laughs> so if you have, you know, <laughs> any type of chronic bacteria, yeast in you, that kind of stuff, they live off sugar, right? So You call them bugs? I call them bugs. It's easier than, yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's a different way of looking at yeah. it. Yeah. And you definitely want to get rid of those, exactly. the bad ones, right? Yeah. You at least don't want to feed them, right? So. No. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of where your focus is, and having read a lot of the work that you've done, a lot of it for you comes back to mental health. Yeah. Um, and so we haven't really hit on that. And I want to be able to kind of correlate with what's happening. And as we're seeing so many more people, first off, be more outspoken about it. So we're talking more about it. But how much of an influence are we talking when we're talking hormones and mental health? Yeah, it's absolutely, it's it's huge. Yeah. So my undergraduate, um, I first did psychology. So I was really into mental health and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, so uh, like a low thyroid can cause depression in somebody. High cortisol will cause anxiety, panic attacks. Um, high DHEA and other hormone will cause panic attacks in people. The progesterone to estrogen ratio, if your estrogen is too high, progesterone is too low, that's going to cause a lot of PMS issues, so the, the mood issues before your period. Um, in menopause, estrogen, once it's at zero, um, some women, they get depressed. They, get, they go through depression in uh, menopause. Progesterone helps us stay calm, deal with stress. So a lot of women will have anxiety when the progesterone kind of goes away. So... They're very much linked. So, and not having ever dealt with it before. So what happens when you have a woman who um, is typically happy and easygoing um, and then all of a sudden goes through this menopause and then finds herself 
depressed? I mean, at what point do they realize I'm not quite myself? At what at what are the levels to understanding mm-hmm. really what depression is? Yeah, it's like women will come in and they'll say, okay, I'm not myself. People have noticed and I have no reason to be feeling this way. You know, I have a great job I love. Everything's going well, yet I'm feeling this way. And that's a big red flag, right? It's like, okay, it's most likely biochemical as opposed to... Um, social cause or psychological cause and that kind of stuff. So you would be then saying to do this testing. woman, okay. We do testing, yeah. So if somebody's coming to me specifically, so for, let's say they're coming in because they have depression, right? So I'll take their case and I'll ask them a lot of like hormone-related questions about their period, their sleep, that kind of stuff. Um, and then I'll recommend testing accordingly. Sometimes I'll be like, you know what? It really looks hormonal. Let's just test your hormones. But sometimes we'll go even beyond that. Um, I'll recommend doing other testing, like testing the health of their gut, testing to see certain genetic tests, because genetically some people can be prone to anxiety and depression. So Okay, and you mentioned um, anxiety attack, panic attacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, that must be really scary for people who haven't experienced it before or were never really an anxious person. Mm-hmm. How is that triggering? Like what is happening when someone's having one of these attacks? They feel like they're having a heart attack, right? So they get shortness of breath, their um, heart starts beating like crazy. One thing that goes through menopause, and a lot of women don't realize that, they'll tell me, you know, they're waking up in the middle of the night and their heart is pounding, or they wake up in the morning, their heart is pounding. And they're like, what's going on? And for me, that's a big sign of perimenopause and menopause. And women don't realize that a lot of women go through this during that that time. But uh, it feels like having a heart attack, yeah. I'm dreading this. <laughs> Menopause. <laughs> how, so, how does, I mean, that's really kind of terrifying for a woman to go to sleep, realizing their body is shifting, the, mm-hmm. the balance of hormones is shifting, and that there's likelihood they could be waking up in the morning with like this pounding and mm. like anxiety or heart palpitation. Like, is it like a heart palpitation? Is yeah, it? Yeah, like women describe it as their heart pounding, like it's going to get out of their chest, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know. But if you know what to expect, then at least, and there's stuff you can do, right, kind of thing. So, so. if you if you are, are of the mindset as it is occurring, mm-hmm. that this is a natural physical response of my body, and yeah. is it about a, a calming? Can people calm themselves through it if they have an understanding that it, at that current moment – it's the body it's it's not the yeah. mind the mind's not doing this to you it's it's almost like it's a physical reaction exactly and it passes right so usually women when if they don't know as part of you know menopause for a lot of women once i tell them that they're so relieved right at this point most women have gone to their doctors they've done like all these heart tests and stuff like that and they've been told oh it's normal everything's normal too um so they're just like what's going on with me what's going on so yeah but if you know what you're what to expect during menopause, I think then when you get there, you'll be able to better handle it for sure. There are women that are experiencing this, and, and I think maybe it's because I'm I'm now getting into that age group where um, some girlfriends are, are starting the early onset of it, mm-hmm. um, whereas I've seen others kind of fight it off and you hardly even notice that they've gone through it at all. Mm-hmm. Is there is there a reason for the earlier onset of it? For some people? Usually it's genetics, to be honest. So usually we'll ask, oh, what, how old was your mom when she went through menopause? But I'll see people, they're like, well, my mom was in her 50s and I'm 42 and, you know, um, they're done. They're, they have, they're in menopause, in early menopause. So it's kind of unpredictable most of the time. Yeah. It's unpredictable. So yeah. you can look genetically at what 
Yeah, you can what kind is of the most likelihood that when you ask mom, like, when did you go through it? Can you pretty much base it if you've had similar? Most people will be yeah. around the same. Yeah. And and how often is it heard of? Like, what would the latest of what would the latest age be of entering menopause? It's hard to or, say, but I mean, I have you know fifty eight year olds, sixty year olds that are not in menopause. Yeah, that are still yeah. menstruating. I think my well, yeah. Um, uh, is that good? Like. Is that a good thing? It is actually a good really? thing. Really? The longer you can have your hormones, the better. Um, when your hormones go down, what we don't notice is that we're prone to osteoporosis, right? So our bones start decaying, um, vaginal dryness, and then vaginal dryness leads to vaginal atrophy, where unfortunately the vulva, the vagina actually doesn't even, it really atrophies, meaning it doesn't look like a vagina anymore. And then you get um, in, prone to infection. And then our hormones, they keep our pelvis, or so the muscle in our pelvis, they actually keep them um, strong. So what you'll see is that the sooner you lose your hormones, and if you don't replace um, then those pelvis, the pelvis actually loses that tone, and then you get the, uh, it's called prolapse. So the uterine, the uterus falls, and the bladder falls, and then you hear these women getting meshes, right, to keep everything up. So the longer you have your hormone, uh, and then memory's huge, yeah. So um, estrogen's super important for our, our memory. So if you, the longer you have estrogen, the better, because then. You're kind of postponing. Oh, the good estrogens. The good estrogen. That, yeah, that estrogen. Was yeah. I, I'm, I'm keeping from <laughs> So actually, the longer that you were able, I mean, everyone talks about, okay, mm-hmm. when I'm done with these menstrual cycles, um, that really, if you can, if if the longer that they're there, the longer you know that the you're longer, keeping. Yeah, the better. The longer you have your hormones, the better for sure. And is there a way, I mean, the I wrinkles you mentioned, okay, too, yeah, yeah. you mentioned um, vaginal dryness. You remember, like, um, are there ways to be able to, um, yeah. to kind of stimulate or to keep, you know, you're trying to kind of catch and keep and try to keep as many things working as possible. Yeah, so for vaginal dryness, we actually give vaginal estrogen. So we give vaginal estriol. Some people give estradiol. So we don't give the bad estrogen, right? Just the two good ones. Um, and it does an amazing job. The cool thing about the vaginal estriol is that even people that have breast cancer or are at risk of breast cancer and are scared of the whole hormone thing, um, vaginally it stays local. So you're good. Yeah. It's really just focused on that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are things, I mean, I think there are so many people that are suffering. And they don't know. And they don't know. Absolutely. Um, that they're suffering and, and or they're just saying, I guess this is natural, right? This is what it's supposed to happen. I'm supposed yeah. to dry up. I'm supposed to and that's what they get told. feel this way. Yeah. Um, and, and you kind of just give into it. Yeah. But so what it, I tell my patients is, okay, so our ancestors, they used to live to the age of what, 55? So whatever. They go through menopause. The average age is around 50, right? So they're living five years without hormones. No big deal. But now we're living 90s, right? 80s, 90s. We're working to the age of 65, 70. So here we are working, you know, 15 years, 20 years without hormones. Yet we're, we're expected to perform the same way when we did when we were, you know, early 30s. Or we're working along younger women like in their young 30s i mean they have all their memory they're good they're go 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 right but we're expected to perform the same way but without hormones i don't think it's fair yeah yeah <laughs> do that next time in a, in a job interview <laughs> that's funny yeah oh uh, i mean there, there's there's so much information from from start to finish okay so someone's listening to this and and something may be triggered in them you know um one of these things was like hey this is me and this is i I want to start the process. How long of a process is it then for the person person making making decision right now saying mm-hmm. I've been affected by this I and I've done my diet and my exercise and this might be my next thing to look into. What's the time frame? 
Yeah. So to be honest, it depends on the woman, but that's actually something that some women will get frustrated with because like you mentioned before, like a dose of like, let's say they do decide to go on bionicle hormones. A woman, one woman will react super well to super small dose right away. So we got it. Or another woman where you just got to increase, 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 right? So some women, if they require more hormones to reach those optimal levels, it can be frustrating because it can take, you know, we test every three months. So it can take, you know, I don't know, like almost a year before everything's perfect. So it can be a long process. Other women, they just really react to hormones super well. So as soon as we started the low dose, we retest them and they, they're great. They're their levels. great. So yeah. it is, once but, again, you know, it's individual. It's individualized. But again, you know, for me, again, you know, I will look at their diet and I look at other aspects. So usually they'll start feeling good um, within the first three months, you know, but what has been if if you go i as i know as a physician it's hard to, to be able to talk about it but what has been for you the most gratifying like seeing a patient come in in a certain condition and then you know i think for you when you're talking about preventative and you're talking about health and not mm-hmm. you know yeah the saving a life the prevention the like prevention yeah, quality the quality of life it's of about life. the quality of life yeah. oh yeah when women come back and they're like i feel amazing you know um they're, they're like thank you so much i'm like i didn't do anything honestly like this could have been done a long time for you it's really just you know you did all the work and i just gave you the avenue to do it the stuff so but it's really cool to see people women feel more again empowered again or when women tell me you know oh i'm starting to feel like my old self i i just i love that you know they feel empowered they feel strong and because they miss their old selves. Absolutely, yeah. And so you've had like people sitting in that chair just crying, like <laughs> I just want to feel. Or like I me. thought I was going crazy, you know, like all these kinds of things, and you know, like no, it was just your hormones the entire time. How how do you have that discussion um, when a spouse or partner may be seeing the depression, maybe seeing the change in personality, maybe seeing the change in physical? Um, not attributes, but like um, physical difficulties, like mm-hmm. things just aren't working the same way. How hard is it to have that conversation and to understand that the mental health aspect uh, is very, could easily be usually in reverse, that it's something that's happening with the body, that, that you get the discussion started within homes? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, that's a good question. So, because that's something my patients will tell me, they'll be like, you know, my husband doesn't understand or, you know, my partner doesn't understand why I'm feeling this way. And they, they feel relieved, especially when we do all the testing. They're like, I'm going to go back to my husband. I'm going to show them I have zero testosterone. So no wonder I don't want to have to have sex, right? So I just, it's not but, you, but it's it, the body. It's my biochemistry. But it's, yeah. but it's happening in homes, right? It's, it ho- it's happening in households where there, there are issues and then the, it, it creates arguments and yeah. animosity. And then the animosity turns into like, I mean, it's like a domino effect, right? Um, Especially for women in their 50s and stuff, you see a lot of divorce rates and stuff like that Um, because... And we just the people don't don't understand that the changes in the body affects it makes you irritable it makes you right you, mm-hmm. if you're not sleeping of course you're going to be more irritable if you have no testosterone of course you're not going to want to have you know sexual relations and it really affects yeah so and if you have all this weight gain then you're not going to feel maybe you won't feel as empowered in your body or you're not going to you know recognize yourself so you're not going to feel as comfortable to have you know um, like sexual relations, uh, sexual relations with your husband and stuff, you know, you know, it's not going to be as much into it and yeah, it affects. 
It is a massive domino effect. Uh, And there is help. There isn't a way of understanding things very differently. And and the first thing to do, especially in this bracket, is to be able to look at the hormones and understand Mm -hmm. things. Um, Tanya right now is currently holding her belly. I think it's probably (laughs) been pressing on her bladder. Seven months, you know, and and kind of doing this and talking. So I'm going to let you go pee. Um, And and, uh, we're going to wrap that up. It's been really quite fascinating. Um, I'd like people to have an opportunity as as well to be able to follow up on this and so uh, it was great to talk to, to Kent and I know there's work so much being work that's being done at NutriCam but mm-hmm. what's the best way like how long is this process going to take to make a call um, to look at the financial aspect of it um, mm-hmm. and to kind of get the process started yeah so um, so yeah so I work at both location at NutriCam so we have two locations one in the east end one in the west end um, usually people will book an initial visit we'll talk about what's going on we'll do testing usually it takes a week to two weeks to get the test results and then we start the game plan from there yeah um, I'm obviously going on maternity leave yes. <laughs> in October to March but um, all the clinicians at uh, NutriCam are very well knowledgeable they're mm-hmm. extremely knowledgeable in hormones so mm-hmm. that's the starting point that's NutriCam.com if you're looking for more information and definitely kind of share this podcast with friends or any of you know this is book club this is book club material everybody <laughs> or bridge club material uh, and to be able to share this information and of course as, as I'm learning it too is with these podcasts uh, if you can kind of subscribe or like or comment it's really going to help share this message of what is being shared and what is being learned on your living your life with Leanne Lang podcast uh, Tanya thank you so much best Thanks of luck with the arrival of your newest daughter thank you uh, it was an absolute pleasure and I've definitely taken a ton of notes uh, looking ahead to and to take home to mom and to my girlfriends <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it and there you have it that is a wrap on episode 25「Matt Cundle, host of the Sound Off podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.